Coming up today, what's the strange philosophy that's controlling more and more companies in the U.S.? So you're still talking about a majority of U.S. companies embracing this absurd new, really I'd even call it religious sort of philosophy at the end of the day. Also, what's the source of conflict in many American churches? We're seeing an incredible worldview conflict uh, before our very eyes. And that worldview conflict is because there's really a foundational battle between those who build their thinking on man's word and those who build their thinking on God's word. Then, we'll take a look at a public school alternative with a biblical focus. That is our hope, is that they really begin to understand who they are in Christ, what God has created them to do, and that they leave equipped to do that. It's the weekend of January 6th and 7th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. When you think of investing in a company, you might think about profit and loss, uh, the cost of stock, or do they offer dividends? But what about their support for DEI? You need to know about that. We're going to talk about it with Steve Crampton. He's the assistant to the general counsel here at AFA. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jeff. Great to be with you. So what is DEI? (laughs) Uh, It stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. All right. Now, by diversity, they're talking about generally the the categories that are recognized in Title VII as protected groups, race, gender, ethnicity, and so forth. So you've got discrete categories, and the idea behind uh, embracing diversity, of course, is that you hire from a diverse workforce and that your uh, employee group looks like America, basically, okay. all right? Equity, though, is a very, very important term, all right? I have here the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce's commentary and, and definition. Equity, quote, promotes justice, importantly, and fairness within the procedural processes and distribution of resources by institutions or systems. They denote the importance of differentiating, though, Jeff, Equity from equality. Americans are familiar with equality, right? Listen to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Equality is the acknowledgement of the disparity in resources and opportunities individuals experience, right? Equal opportunity for all, as in the EEOC, for example. But on the other hand, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce says, equity allocates additional resources to ensure everyone can achieve the same outcome. So you see the difference. It's really Marxist, right? Opportunity versus outcome. They want to ensure we are all receiving the same benefits regardless of the output of our production and abilities and so forth. So it's really alarming in its uh, root uh, philosophies. According to an article in the Christian Post recently, uh, the number of companies that are giving support and planning for diversity, equity, and inclusion has declined compared to last year. Uh, Why is this support for DEI actually on the decline? And it seems to me that's actually good news. I think that's great news too, Jeff. On the on the other hand, let me just note uh, the report that we're reading from says it goes from fifty eight percent of companies embracing it to fifty four. Okay. So you're still talking about a majority of U.S. companies embracing this absurd new, really, I'd even call it religious sort of philosophy. At the end of the day, nevertheless, what you have at the end of the day, I think, is the proof of the pudding. Right. 
pragmatically speaking, forget about values here for a minute. It simply doesn't work. Okay. Right? Whenever you value and promote based on characteristics as opposed to abilities and talents, inevitably your outcome, your production, your quality is going to suffer, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the uh, corporate America is realizing that they're never going to have the results that they want if they embrace these artificial distinctions, which also, by the way, divide. They do not unite. The whole purpose here, just like critical race theory and so forth, is to divide us. So you're plotting one group against another here and creating this um, tension and problem in your workforce. And so at the end of the day, it's going to be a drain on productivity. I think, you know, um, Chesterton famously said, Mm -hmm. No man can break any of the Ten Commandments. He can only break himself against them. Hmm. I would suggest that the DEI philosophy is finding the truth of that statement. They're breaking themselves against, ultimately, God's Ten Commandments here. Apparently, one of the things that they rely upon in order to implement DEI is a collection of data from their employees. Yes. And they are citing that as a particular problem because the employees aren't really cooperating as much as they had hoped that they would. Again, this is, seems like a good sign that people are I at agree. least willing not to give over certain information. Yes. You know, uh, voters employees, we're not as dumb as they like to think we are. (laughs) Once we figure out, the only reason they want to collect this data is to use it against us. And when you write down things like, well, I'm a Caucasian or, well, you know, I I only have one gender, uh, you know, you say all the wrong things and you know that those are going to be treated as wrong things in the eyes of the DEI police, then you're not going to provide that information. Now, We may reach the time uh, soon where the company requires them to give these answers on pain of losing the job. We'll see if we come to that. But as of right now, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I would also just volunteer this, Jeff. Uh, We experienced actually when we were um, part of the American Family Association Law Center some years ago, we were contacted by an employee at the IRS Hmm. who was a Christian and wanted to organize along the same lines as all these minority groups had organized a Christian uh, employee group. And the IRS said, absolutely not. Well, (laughs) we had to sue them in federal court, and to this day we won. To this day, the they call themselves CFIRE, but I can't exactly remember what the uh, initials stand for. But it's the Christian Employee Group of the IRS. Okay. And years later, here during the COVID uh, disaster, I was contacted by members of that organization with respect to their stance on not receiving the vaccine. Uh, and again, because they were organized and they spoke out. We were able to protect them throughout the whole um, absurd push to force employees to get a vaccine. So getting organized is a huge thing. I know not everybody can find Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like-minded co-employees, but getting organized and getting educated on the subject, just as we're trying to do through this uh, broadcast here, is hugely important in an effort to protect employee rights here. Okay, so what if you're an employee and you're asked to fill out a form to give a lot of information, and it may seem like harmless information, I may feel like as an employee, I'm going to be in trouble with HR if I don't do this. How should employees think about those forms that they're asked to fill out in these companies? Well, first, I think just the way you phrase the question, think about it. Okay. All right. <laughs> don't just automatically respond. You know, okay. 
it's a funny thing to me, Jeff. Uh, as Americans, I think we have a great historical tradition of, shall we say, questioning authority. We, we are taught, or at least we used to be, to think for ourselves. I think we really have kind of fallen behind on that uh, skill lately. And frankly, part of it is the public uh, education uh, approach, trying to discourage that practice. But I think employees really do need to think, why do they want this information? You're entitled to ask those questions. So I would say first, again, educate yourself. Second, think through, why do they want this? Third, what are my rights with regard to answering or not? So just a simple question, you know, what is the penalty, if, if any, for not answering? And, you know, given uh, the current state of affairs, I think the penalty is not too great. And I would say, don't answer if you don't have to. It's kind of like the police officer, forgive the analogy, but pulling you over on a traffic stop and asking, hey, do you mind if I look in your trunk? Now, you may not have anything to hide in that trunk, but he has no right to look in that trunk. Or a child protective services agent comes to your door and asks to interview your children. You don't have to cooperate. But once you say, have at it, well, then you've waived your rights. If you oh, consent, wow. you've waived your rights. So the employee here, consenting and just volunteering the information, just because they asked, may end up shooting yourself in the foot long term mm. here. Wow. Great advice, Steve. Thanks so much for helping us. Sometimes we feel like these are abstract uh, concepts that we really can't do anything about, but there are some very practical steps that you've given us today. Thanks so much for your time today, Steve. My pleasure. We've talked about many times on this program the decline in church attendance and the state of the church in America. For instance, the Gallup organization recently released a poll that showed church membership dropping below 50% for the first time ever in the United States. Joining us to talk about that is Ken Ham. He's the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Ark Encounter, and the Creation Museum. All of these things equip Christians to defend their faith and proclaim the gospel. Ken Ham, welcome to The Stand Radio. Hi, thank you. It's great to be with you. Ken, why are we seeing such a decline in the American church, do you think? You know, there's not just an overall decline in church attendance, but we also have to look at it generationally. If you go back to the 1700s, what, uh, 80%, 75 80% of the population attended church. But if you come up to 2010, uh, millennial church attendance is down to 18%. And if you come up to, uh, you know, 2021, then with Generation Z, we're down to less than 9%. So we're seeing a catastrophic generational loss from the church. In other words, what we have to look at, yes, there's uh, church attendance is decreasing overall, but it's, it's really with the younger generations where we're seeing that catastrophic loss. And so really, Generation Z are now considered... George Barner, Christian researchers, said they're the first truly post-Christian generation. And so we are losing the younger generations from the church. And you know what? This is coincided with an increasing secular worldview dominating our culture, and it's gone hand in hand. And that is connected, and I believe it's the church's fault, because so many of our church leaders have not stood on the authority of God's Word beginning in Genesis. You know, Genesis 1-11 to is the foundation for everything. There's nothing that's not founded in Genesis 
Genesis 1 to 11. And if you want to, uh, for instance, know what marriage is, you have to start from Genesis 1 to 11. God defined marriage. He uh, he created the first marriage. He created two genders of humans. Uh, he created uh, the first two people. We're all of Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve. We all come from them, so we're all one race. In other words, if you want to have a true biblical worldview, you've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11. But the majority of our church leaders have either compromised Genesis or say it doesn't matter or say it's not important, just told generations, trust in Jesus. We've had generations of kids go through a, a, a secular education system. And I remind people, you know, instead of saying secular, look at what Scripture says. You're either for Christ or against. You walk in light or, or darkness. You build your house on the rock or build your house on the sand. Do you know what secular means? There, there's no neutrality, so it means anti-God. And so the majority of our kids, 80-85% of kids from church homes have gone through an anti-God education system. They've been indoctrinated against the Bible. They've been indoctrinated in naturalism, which is atheism, evolutionary naturalism. And those that are in the church have been told by the majority of their church leaders, not all, but certainly are the majority, don't worry about Genesis. You can believe what you taught at school. It's okay to believe in evolution, whatever. Just trust in Jesus. But see, what's happened is that generation starts to believe then and realize that you can't trust the Bible uh, in its history. And over time, they just walk away uh, from the church. And we've seen this uh, generational loss. And they've been educated to believe it's man that determines truth, man who defines things. And so now man is redefining everything that God... God has defined. So man redefines marriage, he redefines gender, and now it's your feelings that de- determine your identity and who you are. The church hasn't taught them that our identity is in Christ as Christians, and you can't trust your feelings because we have a sin nature. If you don't teach the origin of all the basic entities of life in the universe from Genesis and understand sin and our sin nature, and it's God who defines everything, not man, you end up with generations who uh, are captured by the world, who have a second worldview, and we now see that permeating the culture. So we see moral relativism permeating the culture, and I do believe it is the church's fault, because we didn't raise up generations to stand on the authority of the Word of God, know what they believe and why, founded in God's Word, back to Genesis 1 to 11, and the world has captured them. We didn't teach them answers to the skeptical questions of our age that undermine the authority of the Word of God. We didn't teach them apologetics. And so that's what I believe has happened. There are many church leaders who will point, uh, as you said, to trusting in the Lord Jesus or the work of the Holy Spirit, but they don't put the emphasis upon the the Word of God itself. Do you think that that's a fear of being criticized or just an ignorance of the authority of Scripture? You know, I, I think it's a number of things. I think, number one, you know, our sin nature, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 5, our sin nature is that we would rather question the Word of God than the Word of man. We have a propensity to not believe God's Word. That's our sin nature. We've got to always make sure we don't let that master over us. And also, if you think about the temptation, did God really say, and then Genesis 3, 5, you can become as God. So our nature is that we want to be our own God. 
And the other aspect of this is, I think that, you know, you look through Scripture, and one of the problems you see that God points out over and over again, people rather would have the praise of man than the praise of God. And we easily get succumbed to the world. It's, e- it's much more easy for the bad to influence the good than the other way around because of our sin nature. And I think because of peer pressure, hey, if you're going to stand on God's Word in Genesis, you're going to be called uh, anti-intellectual, anti-scientific, anti-academic, uh, you know, you won't be published in the, in the journals and so on. And, and people uh, have an academic pride, an intellectual pride, and I think peer pressure, and so many have succumbed to what the world has taught. And particularly when it comes to Genesis, they're indoctrinated to believe that if you accept Genesis as literal history, and God created in six days, just like he said, then you're going against science. And look what science has done in bringing us all this technology. And we, we've got to understand that's not the science that brings technology. The word science means knowledge, and knowledge about the past is a very different sort of knowledge than gaining knowledge through your five senses to build technology. So I think there's been an intimidation by the world. And, you know, God's Word over and over and over again, all through Scripture, we see this emphasis through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Don't put your trust in, in man's Word. Put your trust in God's Word. And don't compromise God's Word. But down through the ages, what do we notice? Over and over again, the Israelites did it over and over again. Compromise with the pagan religion of the age. Mesh it with God's Word, and it destroys them. And we've done the same. Most of our churches, Christian academics, Christian colleges, and so on, have compromised God's Word with the pagan religion uh, millions of years evolution the pagan religion of our age to try to explain life, with, uh, life without God and what happens it, uh, it undermines biblical authority and you see the catastrophic results in the younger generations as they depart from God's word there's been an increasingly hostile culture around us toward the things of God especially the authority of, of the scriptures do you see that as something that is going to sift the church and some churches are going to come out stronger those who hold to the authority of scripture and the churches that don't will continue to decline well I think we're already seeing that we're already seeing that those churches uh, that take the stand on God's word uh, they stand out uh, they certainly do. And, you know, I'm finding in this ministry more and more as I call our supporters to thank them for supporting us, they're saying, you know what, we are starting to change the way we support Christian ministries, the way we support our churches. Uh, we're looking for those that are willing to take a stand on God's Word. And we're seeing that, you know, it really is a sifting of the church. It's really, it's really that time when it's who really is going to stand for God's Word or who's going to become soft on LG soft on gay marriage, soft on abortion. Who's really going to take that stand on God's Word? And I think God is allowing this to sift the church to see who really is standing uh, for Him. And again, it comes down to a biblical authority issue. Who's going to stand on the authority of God's Word? We need to be bold. We need to be unashamed. We need to put aside our own personal pride, human pride, and we need to uh, make sure that we stand on God's Word without compromise and be prepared uh, to 
you know, challenge people concerning the truth of God's Word. And what, what we've got to understand is we're seeing an incredible worldview conflict uh, before our very eyes, and that worldview conflict is because there's really a foundational battle between those who build their thinking on man's Word and those who build their thinking on God's Word. The trouble is many in our churches have not really been taught to understand that our worldview comes from a foundation, and if we don't have the right foundation... We won't have the right worldview. If we don't understand that people have a worldview or religion that has a foundation of God's word or man's word, we won't know how to fight the battle. In other words, you can't just go out there and and deal with all those issues in the culture as if they're different problems, you know, gay marriage and abortion and euthanasia and pedophilia, and so it goes on. A lot of people think they're all different problems and we have to fight them all differently. No, they've all got the one problem uh, that... They're all the same problem. The problem is they come from those who build their thinking on man's word, which means they're all different symptoms of that problem. So the solution, if they're all the same problem, the solution is the same solution. And the solution is the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. And that's the point. And that's what we all need to understand. Ken Ham, the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, The Ark Encounter, and The Creation Museum. You can find out more about Ken Ham and the ministry at AnswersInGenesis.org. Ken, thanks so much for being with us and for giving us your thoughts on the church today. Uh, Thank you. Does your child's school teach gender-neutral pronouns? Well, that's something that the NEA, the nation's largest teachers' union, is pushing for in pre-K through 12th grade students. Concepts like gender indoctrination and critical race theory are strong motivators for parents to look for alternative ways to educate their children. Gretchen Pike has been involved in Christian education for 30 years. She's now the administrator of IlluminEd, an online educational resource that's having a big impact on how and what children are learning. Ms. Pike, welcome to The Stand Radio. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here. There are some very scary things being taught in schools around the country, and a lot of parents are choosing something different. What is IlluminEd, and how is it being used? IlluminEd is an online virtual academy. Uh, We have live classes, so there's that interaction with the teacher, and we want to engage the students um, in 6th grade through 12th grade in a fully accredited learning situation. Uh, We are primarily biblically worldview-focused, and what that means for us is that whether we're teaching math, science, Spanish, English, uh, that we're coming at that subject from a biblical perspective so that students learn not only the academic material, uh, but the reason that subject material exists and how they can use it in the commandment that God has given them to take dominion of the earth. Talk a little bit about the curriculum that you use. Do you draw from a particular publisher, or do you write your own curriculum? What about that? Yeah, some of both, actually. So we use um, some Bob Jones University Press material. We use some other uh, material that may be familiar to homeschool families, Institute for Excellence in Writing, mm-hmm. um, some Apologia. Um, but but we don't ever just use exactly what's written, right? Because even though some of those are Christian publishers, we do look at what they've presented and say, you know, is that the best way that we can present this to our students mm-hmm. so that when they walk away, they have a more complete understanding of who God is and how this material relates to his plan for them. 
Yeah. Could you speak to the issue of accreditation? That's very important to some people and, and how colleges might recognize uh, your curriculum. Sure. I, we are fully accredited um, by a couple of different agencies. Uh, we are accredited by the Association of Christian Teachers and Schools. Um, we are also accredited by the Middle States Association, which would be um, your um, non-Christian accrediting agency that's widely recognized by colleges. So when it comes to college acceptance, uh, there should not be any issue because colleges look at the accreditation of the school and say, yes, they're accredited, their students are uh, ready to go for college. Our students also participate in um, the classical learning test, which is a more widely recognized entrance assessment now for colleges, so mm-hmm. that helps them as well. Now, how do you overcome some of the challenges of distance learning uh, as opposed to face-to-face relationships? You've touched on that just a little bit uh, of the of the live interaction, but uh, tell me how much emphasis you put upon that, and, and how is that done practically? So our students meet in a class format where um, it, it would be very much like a Google Meet or a Zoom call where you can see the other people that you're interacting with, but it's more than just seeing them. So we open up the microphones so that they can talk back and forth with their teacher, build relationships with them. They're able to go into breakout rooms and through that build relationships with students as they're working on classwork. Um, but it is it, you have to be very intentional about building relationship. We know face-to-face, but even more so virtually. So there is a lot of um, opportunity for students students to contact teachers directly, meet with teachers. Um, One of the ways we're intentional about building relationships is we have a chapel program once a month, and following that we have small groups, which are really um, open discussion areas that are monitored and run by teachers on staff. And during that time, there's a lot of relationship building that happens. What about Christian schools? If if there's a Christian school, uh, can they also make use of your curriculum and your program? Absolutely. We love working with Christian schools. We call them partner schools. Okay. And um, one of the, we work with partner schools in a couple of different ways. Um, it's really exciting to us when we get to help partner schools grow because we're here to support them. There's no competition, right? We're all doing this uh, for the kingdom. And so when a partner school comes to us, they may say, you know, we have K through 5, but we really want to add 6th grade. And so we may teach 6th grade for them until they're able to hire a teacher for 6th grade, and that's, that helps them build their program. Other ways that we work with partner schools, um, if we teach a class that they don't offer. So we have a couple students this year taking physics. Their school didn't offer it, but they needed it next in their progression, and so we are teaching that for them. And then the final way we work with partner schools is um, if, if they don't have a qualified teacher for a subject area, we will teach that for them as well. Um, and again, if they want to get a hold of us, you can do that through our website or by emailing us. Gretchen, if you would share a little bit about what you hope that students come away with when they've used Illuminate. Our heart's desire is that their hearts would be changed, right? It's one thing to change the mind. It's one thing to to educate academically, but it's another thing to help a student uh, come to a point where they realize that, that God isn't separate from everything else. God is just as involved in academics because he created them as he is in church on Sunday. And so that as they learn and as they grow, as they progress through uh, different work ethic issues, different study skill issues, and in addition to their class, that they walk away understanding that, okay, my school didn't just give me a diploma. They prepared me for God's calling on my life, whatever that is. And we know that not all students are going to go in that direction, but, but that is our hope, is that they really begin to understand who they are in Christ, what God has created them to do, and that they leave equipped to do that. 
Our guest today is Gretchen Pike. She's the administrator of IlluminEd. You can find out more about IlluminEd at the website ilumened.org. That's illumined.org or by calling 540-200-8388. Gretchen, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Be sure and join us again next week on The Stand Radio as we get a preview of what we can expect in the upcoming Iowa caucuses. We'll talk with AFA Vice President Walker Wildman. And speaker and author Camille Cates will share what we need to know in reaching out to men and women scarred by abortion. Don't forget, all of these programs are available as podcasts when you go to AFR.net slash podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything you've heard today, send your email to thestand at afa.net. We'd love to hear from you. And for important articles on culture, faith, and family, get your free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine by going to afa.net slash The Stand. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shamley. Thanks for listening.